Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So good to be here with you all. My name is Ginny. I'm the interim rector here at Emmanuel. I love baptism days because we get a lot of new faces in the room, a lot of parents and grandparents. So welcome if you are here for the very first time or if you're coming back to be with us. It's so good to have you. Today we're going to be in John's gospel in John chapter 10. So if you would like to, does anyone, need, does anyone bring a Bible anymore? Anybody? No? Just me. Um, you can turn to John chapter 10 or you can look on the screen. One through ten, right? Yeah, okay. This is John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking here. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this this scripture, this moment in your life this teaching moment that you had with your disciples and with those who would go against you and how kind you are, um, even when you were being opposed, how convicted you were by who God had called you to be that you could speak these words into, um, into the world and into this place even now. Lord, would you help us to see you this way, to feel known by you, called by you, Help us to see you as the good shepherd in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so <clears throat> I remember someone asking me a long time ago, uh, It was I think it was my first staff retreat at the church, and um, it was before I went to seminary, and they asked me what my favorite book of the Bible was. And all day long, it was John. I loved the book of John. Um, so many good stories. What's better than reading about Jesus's prayer, like reading his actual words that he prays uh, for the disciples at the Last Supper? It's just so good. And then I went to seminary and spent a lot of time in the other gospels, the synoptic gospels as we call them, and um, fell in love with those. And ever since then, John has been hard for me. I come to words like this in John and I'm like, what were you saying? Uh, Jesus just feels like really lofty, and he, he, it seems like he says things in like the most wordy and hard way to understand. Um, and so 
my feelings have changed uh, in, in some ways. Um, this gospel feels like sort of a philosopher's gospel or a, like a theologian's gospel. And that's because it is in many ways. That's why it sets out a, in a category sort of all its own as a gospel. Jesus does a lot of explaining in John's gospel in the way that he just doesn't do in, in the other gospels. So much of what is now called Christology or the study of the nature of Christ is because of this book, because of what Jesus says about himself in this gospel. The Eastern Church dubbed John the theologian, um, and there's like, it's obvious why they would call him that, because of who Jesus, he, who he knew Jesus to be and how he depicted Jesus in his gospel. It's heavy stuff, the gospel of John. It's not really easy. Sometimes you sit down to a scripture and you think it's going to be a nice time, and then you're like 20 minutes in and you're not done with the chapter yet. Uh, that's how John can come to us sometimes. So if it feels hard to understand or read to you or just feels a little bit different, there's a reason why. It is a little bit different. Uh, it's, it is a little harder to read. Uh, you're in good company. But the beautiful thing about the Gospel of John and the thing that I haven't lost, even though maybe some others are more tender to me now. Um, the thing that's wonderful about John is that although we get these like really high lofty images of who Jesus is and like explanations of things that you wouldn't get in another gospel, you get to see like the heart and personal life of Jesus in the gospel of John in a way that you don't in the other gospels. So while we have these really high views of things in this gospel, we also have like intimate moments with Jesus as a friend and as a leader, and as a teacher, and as a rabbi. So that's sort of what we hold on to in the Gospel of John. We, like, hear the really complicated teaching, but also know the, like, tender shepherd heart of Jesus that he is giving of himself at all times um, in his life. And so that's where we come today. So the first section of this text that we read is a parable. And speaking of things being hard to understand, parables by nature, no matter what gospel they come from, are hard to understand. That's sort of their job, is to put forth an idea that totally confounds you and maybe takes what you thought you knew and turns it on its head. Parables are paradigm shifters on purpose. Parables, I always remember this because it's two P words, parables provoke. That's their job. It's supposed to take something that you knew and like change it. Um, bring it into a new sort of light. So Jesus tells this parable about entering the sheepfold by the gate and about a shepherd who knows his sheep by name. And his hearers are confused. And so Jesus responds with three layers of explanation. Uh, the, we only get one today in the lectionary when he says, I am the gate. But throughout the chapter, he goes on to explain uh, other parts of that parable as well. So this chapter begins in the middle of a scene that's already happening. So it's important, I think, to go back and look at what's actually happening so we know why Jesus is telling this parable. If not, it's just falling out of the sky and into our laps. So put ourselves in context. Um, the gist of what has happened in the previous chapter is that Jesus heals a man born blind and this whole debate begins about sin and why people are sick and why people have disabilities and things like that. And they're like, well, his parents sinned and that's why he was blind. And Jesus, they just get into this very big argument. And it ends, as all arguments do with Pharisees in the Bible, with is Jesus who he says he is? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he a prophet or not? Is he from God or not? Is he the Messiah or not? That's always the questions that these moments sort of bring us to. And so Jesus answers these questions with this parable. 
He's basically saying, yes, I am from God. I am the prophet. I am the Messiah. And here's how you can know that for sure. And then he says this parable about a sheep and a gate and a gatekeeper and a shepherd. Not a clear answer. Am I right? Well, we're going to go through it and look at what Jesus is saying here. To you and me especially, I think this is an answer that um, doesn't make a ton of sense, but to his hearers made a lot more sense than it does to you and me. Because how they understood it, the ideal king, the ideal Messiah was a shepherd, not a sort of removed overlord or like a CEO that never sees the other employees of the company or like a king who like all of his royal guard is to keep people, keep peasants away, you know, like a shepherd king, that very idea uh, was a personal thing. It's unfortunate for so many reasons that you and I don't live in a more agrarian society. I think the Bible would make so much more sense to us if we did. Um, and things about sheep are one of, those, uh, one of those things that would just make a lot more sense to us. So let me, let me help you, okay? Here's some cool things about sheep and shepherds. Uh, sheep have a uniquely personal relationship with their shepherd, um, and it's, it's, it's very special, mostly because of how dumb sheep are and how confused they get so easily and how really just generally unaware sheep are. Uh, they're not smart creatures, but to their credit, they can know a shepherd's voice. So if several herds are sort of mixed together, which happened a lot in the ancient world, it's very hard to keep track of these sheep, as you can imagine, because they are so dumb and so unaware. Um, and so they scatter all around, and they sort of get in other herds with other sheep as well. But as soon as their shepherd makes like their sound, speaks with their voice, immediately their sheep will come running. You can find clips of this on YouTube. Go home and look it up. It's very cool. They say they do their call and their sheep run to them, even if they're mixed in a field with other sheep from other herds, and those other herds don't come. Just their sheep do. It goes even further that shepherds can have specific names for their sheep. And if another shepherd says the name of that sheep, they don't hear it. They only hear their shepherd saying their name. So while they are not smart creatures, they are very sort of personal creatures at the same time. The nature of the relationship between sheep and shepherd is innately personal and intimate. There's a sort of natural and ultimate trust between a sheep and her shepherd. When Jesus talks about being a shepherd, this is what he is referring to. But still, why did this make sense to his hearers? For you and me, because we don't live in the ancient world, when we hear that Jesus calls himself a shepherd, it's mostly sentimental. We're like, well, isn't that sweet that Jesus would care about sheep? And yeah, we're all sheep. That's very sweet that Jesus would care about us dumb creatures and like bring us in. So for us, it's like mostly sentimental that we like this reality. But for Jesus' hearers, it meant something very important of ultimate importance. For them, it was a sign that Jesus was the Messiah the one who had come to save them. It was, he was exactly what they had been waiting for. So him talking about being a shepherd is the sign that he's the true king. He's the one who came for them. So where do we see this? How do we know that this is what they were looking for? There are lots of scriptures that point to this in the Old Testament, uh, but two in particular, uh, two really moments in particular. 
One is King David, the king after God's own heart, who was a shepherd, the youngest of many brothers, and uh, was the, the one out in the fields, which children often were shepherds in the ancient world, uh, the youngest of them out in the fields protecting the sheep, fighting off lions and bears, he tells us, um, and in order to protect the sheep. Uh, that were his. And then when he is called to become a king, uh, it was ridiculous because he was this young guy and there were so many brothers above him. Um, but there was something that God saw in David, uh, this little shepherd boy uh, that he saw as someone who could be king. And God promises out of David's lineage, as you know, sinful, as imperfect as David was, there was something about him that was the right thing for the job. And God promises that out of his lineage, he would bring another that would be even better for the job, that he would also be a shepherd, and he would come out of David's lineage. So that's the first thing, and I wish I had more time to talk more about David. But the second thing is from the book of Ezekiel, and I know some of y'all may go home and and read about David. I know none of y'all will go home and read about Ezekiel, so it's my job to tell you so that you can know some things. Um, Not yet, not quite on on the slide. So the second reference I want to mention is from this book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet. Um, Unless someone forces you to read it, you probably haven't ever read it in your life, unless you went to seminary and you read it. Um, I love Ezekiel, despite it being like a wild book um, and quirky. It's very quirky. And then also it's fairly troubling. Um, But what Old Testament book isn't a little bit? You know what I mean? Um, I remember in seminary, Doing the day, you know, you spend like one day on a book of the Bible because there's so much to go through. But I remember my Old Testament professor like saying all the things he needed to say about Ezekiel. And then at the end he went, I'm not a fan. And then we moved on. And he didn't say that about any other book. I was like, dude, have you read Judges? You know, like there's so much else that could have, could have not liked. But Ezekiel for him was, was the one he was like really, really didn't love it. Um, I am a fan though. And it's because of moments like this that we're going to read. So here's the background for Ezekiel. The Babylonians have taken over Israel, um, and they have burned most of Jerusalem to the ground, including the temple. And uh, they take God's people into exile. And God's people, this is like a very long story short, go into Babylon and uh, think maybe that they'll never worship God again. They go into this defiled land, and because God, the temple isn't there, God's not there. And because the temple is burned down, maybe God is gone forever. They don't know what's ahead for them. They don't know what it means for them to be the people of God anymore. But then, in the very, Ezekiel does not leave you hanging. In the very first chapter of Ezekiel, what I think is one of the most incredible theological moments in all of the Bible, other than the resurrection accounts, happens in Ezekiel chapter 1. God shows up in Babylon by the river Kabar in this insane description um, of like eyeballs and wheels and creatures and all that kind of thing. God shows up and God shows his people that nothing will keep his presence from them. So that's the beginning of Ezekiel. And then the book really, this is the troubling part, okay? The book really goes on to basically pronounce judgment almost the rest of the, like, 38 chapters that it is, um, and mostly about Israel, uh, some about other, other nations, but mostly about Israel. So it's like dad shows up, you know, in chapter one, 
And you're like, yay. And it's like, but dad is mad. <laughs> um, and that's sort of what the book of Ezekiel is and why it's a little troubling. Um, so anyways, I do want to read to you, if you remember the story about like the dry bones and the new temple and all of those wonderful things, all those come from Ezekiel. So although Ezekiel is hard, it has some of, I think, the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible. So we're going to read a little bit before that like dry bones sort of narrative in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I don't have it written down for some reason. I'm ready. God says, <clears throat> I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's it, right? Yeah. I myself will be their shepherd, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Does anyone know, was David alive during this time? No. David was long dead. So he wasn't coming in the future. So what does God mean by, I will set up my servant David for them? What he means is this promised lineage this promised son who would come out of the line of David, I will set up David uh, for them. He will be the promised one. And God says, I myself will be their shepherd. So he's saying, I will do it and David will do it. And then what we get is God incarnate, the son of David, is, has come to be their shepherd. That's what we're witnessing in this moment with Jesus telling them all of these things, this parable when they say, is he the Messiah or not? And he says, I am the shepherd. That's what we're seeing, this culmination of this whole history of God's promise of what he will do for his people and that he will return. Jesus is the shepherd king they had been waiting for. And still, there seems to be this issue that Jesus speaks of multiple times of thieves and bandits and strangers so the question really is, is how do you tell God's appointed king when he comes? And the answer is that you can tell the true king by the heart response of his people that we see all throughout the gospels when Jesus heals people and comes close to people, the way that they respond to him, like they were calling his name, like he was calling their name, like he was their shepherd calling them into who he was, into his own heart. The heart responds to his people who come to know and love and trust him. Something happens when we experience Jesus. People who have no concept of who Jesus is can have like a lightning bolt moment in their life and all of a sudden love this person that they've never seen or known. One of my favorite stories that speaks to this is John Wesley's conversion moment. Uh, he was the founder of the Methodist Church. And uh, in this moment, he says, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. That sounds awful, right? Except for my theology professor who's here. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That Jesus could come to him in this moment, and he calls it, you know, his heart being strangely warmed. Who of us has not had that experience in our life? 
I had that experience as a young person. I didn't grow up in the church, really. I did grow up in the South, so I was culturally Christian, you know, and um, didn't know I wasn't, and went on this retreat when I was in seventh grade with Fellowship of Christian Students, and I remember, you know, it's all the things that, that a wonderful youth thing is, where, like, we're in this, like, crusty old auditorium, and it's, like, really gross, and people leading the band are not great at what they're doing, and, um, but everyone's crying, you know, and, um, I love youth. <laughs> and and I, we sing this song, and the lyrics are, some of y'all know it, Jesus, you're the Lamb of God, worthy is your name. And I wish I could go back in time and ask that sweet little 12-year-old version of me, like, do you know what Lamb of God means? No, I did not know what Lamb of God meant. But it was during that song, even during that line, that, like, as Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed. And it was at that moment when I felt like the shepherd had called my name. And I couldn't have told you what that meant. And I couldn't have told you what it meant for my future. But what I knew in that moment is that I had been called home. Nothing would ever be the same for me because of this person who had called me in that moment. Because of who Jesus was. But this didn't seem to be enough for his hearers. They needed further explanation. And honestly, rightfully so, um, it's not entirely enough for me either that, like, maybe we'll just know Jesus by the feelings in our heart. I think it's a very nice sentiment. Um, but do, do not cult leaders have a similar following at times? I have watched enough cult documentaries, much to my husband's dismay, to know that you can have that sort of feeling about someone else, you know, about another kind of leader, um, someone, someone who is not Jesus. So how do we know? How do we know that Jesus is the shepherd king that they had been waiting for? How do we know it's him and not an imposter? And Jesus tells us, he tells us this, in his first explanation of this parable, the only one that we get in the lectionary today, which is how our text ends and how we'll close today, is Jesus says, I am the gate. Why does this answer that question? That he's not an imposter, that he's the real Messiah. We have, I think, unfortunately, taken this line, I am the gate, to mean something about moral authority, um, that uh, we get to choose who comes in and who comes out, or like Jesus does, but really we take it upon ourselves as the reason, as the, the kind of person who gets to judge who comes in and out of, of the sheepfold. But that entirely misses the point, and here's why. Because in the ancient world, when the herds were moving about, Makeshift fences were made. They would cross miles and miles. So they couldn't just take, you know, they couldn't just keep them in one place. So they would make these, like, makeshift fences around them so that no matter where they were, like, wandering around Israel, they could keep them sort of, like, at least a little bit bundled up. And instead of a gate, the shepherd would lie down between these makeshift fence posts so that he could let the sheep in and he could keep the predators out. The shepherd literally lays down his life for the sheep. When Jesus says, I am the gate, that is specifically what he is speaking about. Not, I'm the moral authority and I'm going to choose who's in and who's out. But I'm going to lay my life down, no matter what the cost is, for these sheep. That's who Jesus is. He's the shepherd and the gate is what Jesus is saying. And it makes all the sense in the world 
that the psalmist, knowing that this is who God is, the shepherd king himself, David, who knew what God was like, the man after God's own heart, could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.